Jesus. Good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. I'm going to give you a little side note this morning. I'm very grateful to see so many young people in the front of the church this morning. I was filling in for a friend of mine, as I normally do, uh, a few weeks ago, and I took my family with me on this occasion. It was a church in, in, my, uh, in, in Scott County that I was very familiar with. We had lots of friends there, so my family went. And so, you know, I've pastored for seven years. Um, most of my kids, uh, my oldest is 14. I've been involved in ministry his entire life, and uh, we're always sitting in the front, and so we go to this church and we're visiting. And that Sunday, my wife decides, hey, you know, we're going to sit in the back today. We don't normally have to sit. We don't, we don't have to do that. So they go and my three kids and my wife sit in the back. And next thing I know, my oldest makes his way all the way down to the front. And he sits down in the front pew. I said, what are you doing? He said, Dad, it just feels weird. I, I'm so used to being in front. And I just want to let you all know that that is how we train our children. By the example we set every single day and the things that they're used to. And so one day, boys, you will be like, this is weird if you ever go sit in the back because you're so used to sitting in the front. So I'm glad to see you here this morning. My, my name is David Barron. I am the network ministry director for the Central Kentucky Network of Baptists. If, you, if we've not met before, if you haven't been here when I have uh, 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 preached here in the past for Craig. And so I'm just grateful that he's given me the opportunity to come back. Um, I do have three boys. Uh, 14, 12, and 10. I got one in high, one in middle, and one in elementary school. All of them involved in fall sports, and so I am a, an extremely busy man when it comes to the fall season. Um, as we're playing soccer, we're playing football, and we're running cross country. And so um, I, I'm, I'm just uh, uh, grateful that I, I do have the time to still continue to, to come and, and serve the churches of, of the Central Kentucky Network of Baptists in any way that I can. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, as you can see on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And before I get to this particular passage, I, have, I, I believe this is the very first passage that I preached for my very first, like, real sermon. Uh, I, I think it was a, the very first church I went in view of a call, and, and I, I was preaching this sermon for them. And, and uh, I'm very grateful that there is no recording of that sermon since it was my very first time. Uh, and I, I, hopefully I've gotten a little better since then. But um, as the network ministry director, I get to travel around central Kentucky and I get to see churches of all different shapes, all different sizes, uh, of the, you know, big ones, small ones, medium ones. I get to see churches that are healthy. I get to see churches that are unhealthy. And, and, and one of the things I look at, look, at when I begin to compare notes amongst the different churches and I look and I see what's going on in them, when I, when I look at the churches who are healthy, the one thing that seems to set them apart from the churches who are not as in good of health is that they all seem to be on the same page. They all understand exactly what God has called them to be as a 
church. If you want to put it in leadership principles, you could say that they're all in the boat rowing in the same direction. They're all on the bus and they're in the right seat on the bus or they're all on the rope pulling in the same direction. This is what we understand when we see healthy churches. This is what we see when we see healthy churches. There is leadership. There is disciple making. There's missions and community. There's authentic worship and all this is is undergirded with biblical foundation and it's covered over by prayer. And so this is what we see within these healthy churches all around our network and all around the United States and the world. And so this morning, as we look at Ephesians 4 together, then what I want to do for you is I want you to help you understand the big idea or the big picture of the passage And so here's what I want you to understand so that that you can understand what's going on in this passage and how it may apply to your own church. And so here's the big idea. Because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, this is a church we are called to be, and this is a church the world needs to see. Okay, when you look at this passage and you walk away today, I want you to see and understand what the, how you can answer this question. And so let's read together Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse one. And Paul says this, it says, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of of all who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then... We will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking truth, speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the, by the proper working of each individual part. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have together today to worship together, to worship in song, to worship in word. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we go through this text, Father, that you help us to see how it applies to our life, that we are forever changed, that, Father, when we leave this place, we are different, that we are drawn closer to you, and we are molded more into your image than when we first come through the doors. May these be your words and not mine, and it's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but, but I, I really seem to think that every time that I study a particular book of the Bible, it's always the, the best book in the Bible. Do, do, you all, 
you all know that and you all see that. Like you get to this certain point in, in there and you're, you're studying that one and you're like, man, this, this, is the, this is the absolute best. And I remember when I was preaching through the book of Ephesians all these years ago, like I was like, this is the best book of the Bible. And then I got to like Philippians and that was the best book. And then I got over, I was in the Old Testament and I was going through like Jonah and that was the best book. And then I, I was all over the place. And then I come back to this text again to, to preach it for you all. And, and I, I, I find myself once again thinking, this has got to be the best book of the Bible. And the reason I think I feel that way is because as I go back now, and even though I've studied it before and I'm studying it again, the reason I come back to this is I, I believe is because of what Paul does really not here in chapter four, but what he does in the previous chapters. I mean, Paul lays out for us in these, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, like these great biblical, these great theological foundational truths that, 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 that point to what he's about to tell us here in chapter four. And so I believe I've told you all before here in the past, the thing that we have to understand, the thing that we must do when we come to a particular text is that we have to understand that text in context. Right? We can't take something out of context and then use it for our own purposes. And so one of the things that you'll look here, if you notice right away at the beginning of chapter four, Paul tar- starts this, this part of, the, of his letter with the word, therefore. And so the question that you should be asking, if you were a first century Jew or a first century uh, person living in, Ephes- in Ephesus and you get this letter from Paul and you pick it up right here and you start and he says, therefore, and he goes on with the rest of the thing, you would probably go, well, why did he put the therefore, therefore? And you would need to go back and look at the beginning of the letter. And so that's what I'm going to do for you this morning. I want to give you a little bit of context. And so very quickly, we're going to walk through this very quickly from chapter one to chapter three, and then we're going to talk about this text. And I promise you that I will get you out of here before two o'clock, okay? I know. Bless him, Lord. Help him, Lord. Help him. (laughs) Ephesians chapter one. Let's look at this. Right? When you get to Ephesians chapter one, you begin to look at what Paul starts. Here, Paul starts with the gospel message. Right? He, he starts with the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at what he does. If you start in, in chapter one, verse three, he says, blessed is the, God, is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens uh, in Christ. Verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 11, in him, we have received an inheritance. Verse 13, in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Verses 18 to 21, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty works of his strength. 
He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and setting him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He starts with the good news of Jesus Christ and who he is. And then he gets to chapter two, and he starts going from death to life. He says, you're called out of death into life, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. Verses eight and nine, for you were saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verses 19 and 20, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And then in verse 22, in him you also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. And so the gospel message, Jesus is the good news. You're being brought out of death into life and he gets to chapter three and he says it's not just for a few of you it's for all of you it's not just for the jews it's also for the gentiles this gospel message this good news of being brought out of death into life is not restricted to just a few select people it's a re it's for all of humanity so verse one in chapter three for this reason i paul the prisoner of christ jesus on behalf of you gentiles Verse eight, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Verses 16 and 17, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he ends chapter three with to him be all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we get to chapter four. And Paul starts this section with, therefore. Because of all these things, because of all these great foundational truths, because, because the, 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 the gospel message that you were called out of death into life, because this is for all these people. Therefore, this is how you are to live. Therefore, these are how things are supposed to go now that you are a Christian in God's holy church. This is the church you are called to be, and this is the church the world needs to see. You know, church conduct always follows calling. You cannot act like, you cannot live like a Christian if you are not called to be a Christian. Conduct always follows your calling. We get angry and upset with the rest of the world when they act like non-believers, and we're like, why don't you act more like Christians? And I'm like, they can't. They are dead in their trespasses and sins, and so therefore, they are always going to act like non-Christians. Your conduct will always follow your calling, and so when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, then at that point, when he brings life into you, you can then start living out like he has called you to live. So conduct always follows your calling. We should never expect that a dead man can do anything else other than be dead. 
until God has breathed life into his life. So what Paul does for us here in these next few verses, in these first few verses of chapter 4, is he gives us three things, three evidences, three marks of the church, if you will, the, 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 the church of what the church we're called to be. And the first one that we're called to be is a church we're called to be marked by spiritual unity. Point number one, the church is to be marked by spiritual unity. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. Get this idea of calling goes back to the beginning of the book. Go back to the beginning of his letter there in chapter one, verse three, right? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavens. And now we're called to walk worthy or to live worthy, depending on your translation of this privileged calling. And so Paul explains what it looks like to walk worthy. Notice what he does here in the first few verses. He says, he says we're called to live with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Church, when you are called into the family of God, the one thing that you should know and understand is that you are not called to make peace. You are called to keep the peace. Right? We are already unified. We are not called to create unity, but to keep the unity of the Spirit. And we are united by this divine calling through the bond of peace. We're not to be divisive individuals. We are not to look at others and tell them that your opinion doesn't matter, that I'm the only one that counts. And so the thing that we always have to look at when we look at the marks of a church and what we look at the rest of our community is we have to ask the question, when the world looks at the church, what does, the, what does it see? What does it see that the church is? Is it unified or is it divided? Is it surrounding around one central message or is it being divisive? When the world looks at the church, it sees a church, and it sees a church that is unified. It, the, the, the church, when they see a church that is what God has called it to be, right? When they look at us and they see that we're around a gospel message and we're, we're on the same path, we're on the same mission, the world sees the church as God has established it to be, a church that's living worthy of the calling it has received. A church is unified around a gospel confession. Look at what Paul does here in the next few verses. Look at verse 4, starting in verse 4 there of chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Church, I want you to take and look and understand what we're called to be. He says we are one body. We share a common existence in Christ's church. We may be diverse in backgrounds. We may be rich and poor. We may be black and white. We may be, we may be smart and we may not be not so smart. But we are all one common existence. You have more in common today with believers on the other side of the world than the non-believers that are next door in the businesses that surround you. Because you share a common existence in Christ's church. There's one spirit. We share a common origin in the Holy Spirit's work. The same Holy Spirit that saved you is the same Holy Spirit that saved me, the same Holy Spirit that saved those who are in Afghanistan, those who are in China, those who are in other parts of the world. It's the same Holy Spirit that dwells amongst all of us. 
It's not multiple. It's one Holy Spirit. And so we share one hope. We share a common hope in Christ. We were formerly without hope. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were going to go spend eternity in hell separated from Christ. But because of what Christ did on the cross, now we have the same hope. We, we are now with hope. We know that we can now stand before a holy God and he can say, your sins are covered by the blood of my son that was sacrificed on the cross for you. And so now you are with hope. One Lord. We share the same confession. Jesus is Lord. Not somebody else. Not that there's many gods not that there's a God that you can go and however you feel like you're going to get to heaven, go be there. There's, there's one Lord, the same confession in it. Jesus is Lord over our life. He's not president. He's Lord. One faith. We share the same faith that Jesus died for our sins. One baptism. We share the same experience in baptism, united with Christ. The same baptism you experienced, right? It's the same baptism that everyone else has experienced. One God and Father. We share the same adoption into the same family. And so we all are united. Right. We all are united, but unity does not mean sameness. Right. Our diverse abilities and our diverse roles enrich and bless the church. Right. Because we're different, we make worship better in this place when we come together. In the following verses, Paul shows us how the church with all of its glorious diversity functions in a, in a healthy way because, because what we see here is point number two is the, the, the church we are called to be is marked by spiritual diversity. Spiritual diversity. We each have a role to play. We're, we're not all to be robots doing the same thing. We each, each should have the same mission. We all have the same vi- mission, the same vision. Look at, look at verses uh, um, uh, seven, right? Verses seven. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captives and he gave gifts to the people. Pay attention. He gave gifts to the people. And when he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descends is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he gave, and he himself gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body. Every church, every church has the same vision and mission. We can go back and look at Matthew 28, right? Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you to the end of the age. Now, here's the important part. Even though we have the same vision, we have the same mission, we see what we are commanded here within Scripture, what, how we accomplish that can look extremely different from place to place. You are not called to look like the church that is down the road. You are not called to look like a church in Lexington or in Georgetown or in whatever area that you want to look like in California. You are to look like the church that is supposed to be on NBC on Maine. 
you have a very distinct way of that you are going to function and live in this community because this is where God has placed you. Yes, we can take general principles from other places and other churches and we can look at them and say, you know what they're doing in this place is having an effect in their community. How can that work in ours? I know a particular church and I'm going to get on it. It's a different denomination, so you don't have to worry about it. Okay? It's not one of, not one of our churches. But the pastor is so infatuated with the way that this particular pastor on TV does stuff that if they do it on their church on one Sunday, within a month, they're doing it in their church. Okay, if that's your thing, maybe. But I keep saying that is not your community. You need to understand what's happening. Now, you can take the general principles. If they're doing something well, if their small groups is working a certain way, if their Sunday school classes are working a certain way, if those things, we can take those things and we can look at our church and we can say, hey, how does this apply to our own context so that we too can have success in proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ? Because that's what he wants. And so as a church, right, we don't have to do things the exact same way, but we do all have a role and a responsibility to play. And here Paul provides one of the key passages on, on spiritual gifts in the New Testament, right? I, I, I want you to look and see what he says. Remember what I said, I said, pay attention to this. He says, every believer has received a gift or a grace. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. This is not a saving grace. This is a ministry grace that, 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 that really Paul's talking about. It's a, it's a grace to serve, to build up the body. If you go back to chapter three, Paul, again, continuing to build all here in chapter four on what he's done in the previous chapters. Paul says grace was given that he might preach to the Gentiles. Here, this grace is in, we see in chapter four, is also given to every person, every member of the church to do ministry. Every believer has grace given, them, given to them to do ministry. And so these gifts are ways in which we extend God's hands and, and feet here on this earth. When you see gifts at work, you should adore Christ for the one who gave them. When you see people serving in certain ways, whether it's in the children's ministry or in the youth ministry or in college ministry or whether it's in the sound booth or whether it's on the stage or, or whether it's just opening the door for them, you should be glorifying God because they are serving in their gifts and in their ways to build up the body. In verse 8, Paul cites Psalm 68. And if you go back and you want to look at this, uh, Psalm, Psalm 68 relates to, cry, to, to like a triumphant entry. And, and oftentimes this, was, this psalm was recited or sung when a, when a king would, would, would come back from battle and, and, and there was uh, a, a whole... Uh, uh, he's bringing back the spoils of war. And so they were celebrating what he had done. And, and Paul here doesn't, he gives this basically this, this summary of the entire psalm here in Ephesians. And, and I, I, was, so I was researching this. Tony Morita 
um, who's a pastor and, and author, he says this about this particular text, this particular portion here in Ephesians. He says, having triumphed over sin, death, hell, and the grave, our Savior gave his congregation spiritually gifted people that they might minister to his church. In verses 9 and 10, which functions like a parenthesis, Paul speaks of Christ's descent and ascent. Paul sees the incarnation and the ascension of Christ as the evidence that Christ is Savior and King. Therefore, Christ is our ascended Lord, and he came all the way down and has now gone all the way up. And Christ is above all, he fills all, and he gives gifts to all. And we should marvel at his generosity and his authority. Christ gave us gifts so that we could use them. These responsibilities are different for different believers. These gifts that have been given to you, that we all don't have the same gifts. Right? Some of us have the gift of encouragement. Some of us have the gift of discouragement. Don't use that one. Okay? Don't use that one. But some of us have, right, we have the, the gifts of encouragement, the, the gifts of administration, right? knowing how to do finances. Some of us have the, the, the gifts of, of hospitality, of inviting people into our homes, of, of meeting people at the door. Some of us have, have the gifts of, of teaching and, and everything. And, and, and here we see in verse 11, right? And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, I know your pastor has talked about this because I watched the video. Okay, I did, a, I did my homework. I did a little research. You are called to be a part of the ministry. The, 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 the leadership is called to build up, to equip you, to help you. So when you feel nervous and you're scared about, I don't know if I can do this, then let me help you understand how you can. Let me equip you with the tools that you need. I, the, 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 the pastor is not called to just to throw you out amongst the wolves and just say, well, just figure it out. They're called to equip the saints to do ministry because everyone is to have a role. Church leaders prepare, complete, train, and equip God's people for ministry. We all have a work of ministry because we all have spiritual gifts given by Christ. And so the church is called to have an every member ministry. An every member ministry. And so let me ask you, what are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing? The church will be enriched in its worship and mission when every single person, every single member is serving. You know, I, I am, um, on top of all the other things I have going on in my life, I also coached the cross-country team for Scott County High School and uh, didn't start running till late in life and, and kind of fell into that role. And I thought it would be a good idea that if I'm going to coach these kids, I'm asking them to, to run and, and really just put their bodies through a lot of pain and, and agony, um, that, that, that it would be good for me to experience some of the same things. So I, I decided that this year I was going to run a marathon. I have any marathon runners here? You know, it's funny, I go to lots of churches. I don't ever see very many hands to go up. <laughs> nope, 
You're not going to find me out there. I'm a, like, if you see me running, Pastor, you better run yourself because things are, things are really bad. Um, and so, you know, I thought, I'd run a, I thought I'd run a marathon. And so I spent, I run the Horse Capital Marathon over at the horse park. And let me just tell you, it's, it was one of the most challenging things I'd ever done. I spent months training and preparing and going and running. And, and, and you know, I was, I, I got up to where I was running 18 miles at a time. I was running, you know, five to six days a week, spending lots of things. And then I get to the, the day of the marathon and I, everything's going like it's supposed to go. I was running. I was on pace. I was doing everything. I was taking in more fluids than I had in, in previous training runs. I thought, man, everything's going to be great. And it was up until mile 18. Matter of fact, at mile 18, I was on pace to hit the target time I had been training for. And then everything fell apart. I mean, it just, it just fell apart. At, at mile 18, all of a sudden, my right calf decided it didn't want to function anymore. Just stopped. Locked up, cramped. I looked like one of those guys on the football field, like, ah, you know. And, and, and I got to the point to where I would, I would run about 100 yards and it would cramp and I'd stop and then I'd walk for like a quarter mile. I just, I did that. And then I'd try to run and the next thing I would do, and it just didn't work. And it, it, was, it was terrible. I, I ran the first 18 miles in like three hours and five minutes, was on pace to finish in like four hours and 20 minutes. And next thing I know, it took me over another two hours, about two hours and 20 minutes to finish the next eight miles. It's terrible. If somebody would have come along and ha on a golf cart and said, you want to get in a cart and go on and finish? I would have said, yes, please. Take me out of here. I am absolutely miserable. And here's the point. When one part of the body doesn't function like it's supposed to, the rest of the body suffers. Suffers. I was miserable. I finished the race. Don't hear me out. I finished the race. I, I, I was on pace to finish in four hours and 20. I wound up finishing in five hours and, and 20. And here's the deal. I finished the race. I could have finished the race a lot faster and a lot stronger if my body functioned, if the one part of my body functioned like the rest of the body wanted to. And the same is going to be true for God's church. The church will finish the race but it can finish it in a lot better shape if the whole body functions like it's supposed to, if each member is doing what it's called to be. You may not be called to be a calf. You may be a hand. You may be a foot. You may be a mind. You may be something. You may have a role. You may not be called to stand on stage, but you may be called to stand at the door. You have a role to play within this church and within this community to make sure that the name of God, the name of Christ is being proclaimed and lifted high so that others may come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the church will be more healthy and function better and will reach more people quicker, faster, for the glory of God when every member functions like they're supposed to. Amen or oh me? And so when we're functioning like we're supposed to, right? If we are functioning, if we're using our gifts to enrich the life of this church so that it can be effective in ministry, then what the rest of the world is going to see 
is a church that is marked by spiritual unity. The church we're called to be is marked by spiritual maturity. The result of a church's unity and its diversity in the spirit is the church's maturity. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the, by the proper working of each individual part. The result of a church that is spiritually unified and spiritually diversified is a church that is spiritually mature. Look at, look at how Paul contrasts here in verses 13 uh, in verses 4 with the spiritually mature in 13 and the spiritually immature in 14. He calls them little children. Right, we're all to reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by cross fullness. We will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Look, I, very quickly as we get ready to close, I, I want to I give you four traits of a spiritually mature person. I have four traits of a spiritually mature person. The first one's in verse 13. They are Christ-like. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Christ's fullness is, a, is a, an, an expression of his perfection. Our goal as Christians is to be like Jesus. We are to grow and be like him more in each day, more each day and every day. And there should always be more of him and less of us. This is what we're called to be. This is what we're called to do. We're not called just to go through this life being a person who just gets by, does the bare minimum and just says, well, it's good enough. You can't see it from my house kind of mentality. And so what we want and what we should see is that we should look like Christ more and more every day. Does that mean that we are going to reach perfection? No, not on this side of heaven. But the, the, the way we look today should be better, be more like Christ when we are 10 years down the road. Now, let me tell you something. I can speak from this from a personal standpoint. I come to faith in Jesus Christ when I was six years old. From the time I was about six years old, to the time I was about 26 years old, my spiritual maturity wasn't much different. Just wasn't. The book of Hebrews is probably one of my favorite verses or favorite, favorite books of, of all the Bible. There's so much Old Testament allusion and the temple and all the things that are going on. But there's a, there's a particular verse in, that, in Hebrews chapter 5 that really just ravaged me when I was in my 20s. And it was a particular verse that says, even though you've been Christians for so long now, we would love to tell you more about this, but because you are basically spiritually dull, because you are immature, we can't talk about these things. So therefore, we're going to have to give you milk instead of meat. You should be teachers by now. You can't, we can't put you in those places because you've not taken things seriously like you're supposed to. This is, this is the David Barron translation, if y'all hadn't figured that out. 
But that's what was going on inside of me. And I felt convicted. I'd, I'd been a Christian for 20 years and I didn't know my Bible any better than when I was when I was six years old. And so I need to become more spiritually mature, growing into a maturity uh, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Was I becoming more like Him? And so that's a challenge. We must be more like Him, and there must be less of us. Two, there are doctrinally stable. Verse 14, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around at every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. You know, children are gullible. Don't know if y'all know that or not, especially, you know, little children are easily deceived and, and, and gullible. They, you can take a, uh, a blanket, you can hold it up like this next to a door, throw it up, duck behind the door, and they think you've disappeared. Sometimes that happens in church. Do y'all know that? Sometimes there are, there are people, in, there are individuals in the church who are being deceived by the person who stands on the stage. Because they're gullible. Because you, why? Why? Because they've not studied their Bible. Because they've not continued to look at Scripture. Because they're not like being like the Bereans, testing and seeing if what is being said from the stage is absolutely true. That's your role in this. This is part of your role as a congregation to hold us pastors uh, accountable and responsible for the things that we teach. And you should be measuring against Scripture. And so you shouldn't be deceived. And so as you grow into maturity, as you grow and you understand what the Bible teaches and you understand doctrine and you become your own, if you become a theologian, you will become stable and you'll be able to say that is not true. That is true. You can say, amen, pastor. We wholeheartedly agree with you. Or pastor, you need to rethink of what's going on there. I, I, I met a man from England not long ago who I asked him his religious background he, he I thought maybe he'd be part of Church of England he said no I'm not I'm not a religious person he said I've read some of the Bible and I've studied other religions and I just don't understand you know how I could go and tell somebody else that they're they're wrong and so I just you know everybody just do their own things and I'm sure it'll work out in the end He's easily deceived. He pays attention to every wind of doctrine that's being blown his way. He's like a little child. Every person has to grow into their faith. Now, I understand we don't accept Jesus and all of a sudden we've got some sort of magical powers or there's a superseding uh, knowledge that comes in and, and all of a sudden we know everything there is to know. But we are expected to grow. We are expected to, to study Scripture. We are expected to become more like Him every single day. And we shouldn't have somebody be frustrated with us like the author of Hebrews who says, you should know more than this by now, but I can't. I've got to teach you the basic principles about Christ once again. Third, we see that they speak truth in love. They speak truth in love, verse 15. Speaking truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head that is Christ. Now here's the thing. It's not just truth. It's not just love. We have churches falling into the ditch on both sides. 
We have people out there who want to speak nothing but true. They want to tell people that they're dying and going to hell, that they're separated from Christ, and you just and, and they just want to take a Bible and thump people over the head with it. It's absolutely true that if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and turned your life over to Him, that you will spend eternity separated from Him in a place called hell where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and that it will be a place of utter destruction that you will experience for all of eternity. That is absolutely true. But we don't get to just go out and just beat people over the head with that as Christians. We also talk to them in love and we tell them about the hope that there is in Jesus Christ because of the hope that we have that there is a way that they can turn their life over to Christ and they will not have to suffer that wrath because Christ loved them so much that he came down from heaven as a baby, lived a sinless life so that they could experience the greatest joy they could ever experience for all of eternity. And that is the hope and the love that we want to share with them. We want that to go out. So we don't speak just truth. We also speak love. But we also don't say, you know what? Everybody's got to figure this out and everybody's got to do it on their own and you can do whatever you want to do and I'm sure it'll be okay in the end and God just loves everyone and, and don't worry about it. You just keep doing you. Because here's the deal. We know and we believe that we believe that, that we serve a holy and righteous God who will exact judgment. And that if there are those who live contrary to his word, he will and he must punish sin. He's not going to just overlook it. He's not going to sweep it under the rug. He wants you to repent from your sins, to turn and follow him and become more like him each and every day. So we just don't tell people, hey, it's okay that you sin against God. Don't worry about it. He'll forgive you. He will forgive you, but he wants repentance. He does not want you to sin just so that he can forgive you. He wants you to try to be holy because I am holy. So we don't, we speak truth and love. Not just truth, not just love. We speak truth and love. And finally, we see in verse 16, they contribute. They contribute from the whole body, fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the, by the proper working of each individual part. Every member has a ministry. So the questions I want to leave with you this morning as we close is are you building up the body? Are you properly working out your individual role that God has called you to? And so what are you going to do differently from this day forward? What are you going to do? Are you going to heed the call and serve God as he, as he has given you the gifts? It's not that you're not gifted. He's given it to you. You just have to put it in action to put your desires aside, to put your will away and say, Father, not my will, but yours. And I will step out in obedience and follow what you, the, the way that you have gifted me. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we're so grateful this morning, that we can come together to worship, to hear your word. Father, that we can come and we can look at scripture and see how we can live our life. Lord, you have preserved for us this, this glorious, perfect, inerrant word that, that, that speaks truth into our lives. 
that speaks hope into our lives. Father, we are grateful that we can serve you, that you've given us gifts. Father, you're changing us each and every day. And you're making us more like you. Help us to impact our community. Help us to share our faith. Lord, may we tell someone about your son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that can be found in him today. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I do want to thank you all for having me. It's such a great time to come and be here. I always enjoy my time coming here and worshiping with you all, and so I pray that Pastor Craig is... His safe travels on his way back, and uh, hopefully I'll see you all again soon. Matter of fact, I will see you all again soon. So, thank you.